Greetings and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Frances Harry, your hostess. I pray that you're having a most blessed Advent season and are preparing the way of the Lord. Recently, our Secular Order of Discalced Carmelites community here in Dayton, Ohio, had a presentation that I wanted to share with you. Tammy Jetton, a professed Discalced Carmelite Secular and a member of our community, recently gave us a reflection on the purity and humility of St. Joseph. I am happy to share it with you. Listen carefully for the analogy of the palm tree. It's a beautiful image to ponder regarding our dear St. Joseph. God bless you. Here's Tammy Jetton. Um, I want to thank everybody for this opportunity. I'm looking so forward to sharing St. Joseph with you, especially during this time of Advent. So here we are during the Advent season with Christmas coming up, and my hope in the end of this presentation is that each of you will kneel before the manger with St. Joseph, the Blessed Mother, in front of Jesus. So hopefully this talk will inspire that reaction. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. O glorious St. Joseph, protector of the universal church, to whose faithful custody, Christ Jesus, innocence itself, and Mary, virgin of virgins, were committed. We pray and beseech thee by these dear pledges that Jesus and Mary be preserved from all uncleanness, that we too may with spotless mind, pure heart, and chaste body serve Jesus and Mary fully all the days of our life, showing the world love itself and bringing as many of God's children to the one true light. Amen. Amen. St. Joseph is very truly special to me in my own life. Um, I've always seen my father as a St. Joseph, one who loved doing woodworking, who was the protector of the family. He's a righteous man, believing in honesty and good works. What I find truly amazing is my father chose St. Joseph as his patron for his confirmation name. And I do believe um, that names are so very important in our lives and that those names are given to us by God. And so I didn't even realize that St. Joseph was his patron maybe till a couple years ago, but I always saw him as that role because he was always in the basement doing woodworking and you learn about St. Joseph. Um, also, my father loved St. Joseph so much that he named my brother Raymond Joseph. Raymond was my father's name, so that first name was given to him based on the father, but then the middle name, Joseph, again, because my father wanted to imitate this saint. Um, back in the 70s, when my mom left for a man who was supplying her drugs, it was my father who worked tirelessly to support us and put a roof over our heads. So he raised two kids, which back in the 70s was kind of unusual. Um, most children with divorced families were with their mothers, but it was our father who raised us. Um, my mom had left when I was about five, so he's really all I knew at that age. Um, he spent lots of quality time with us on the farm, and often you would find him um, with me on one knee and my brother on the other knee and um, sitting there just he was very loving he was a good man and looked at saint joseph just like our own mother saint Teresa did as her true father and lord saint Teresa of avila wanted to make saint joseph better known she dedicated 11 of her i think it was 17 or 18 so if i'm wrong feel free to correct me but out of her convent she dedicated 11 of those to saint joseph she also dedicated her cure where um, they thought that she had died. She dedicated that cure to St. Joseph. And St. Teresa of Avila writes, I took the glorious St. Joseph for my advocate and patron and rec recommended myself insistently to him. The glorious saint, as I know from experience, assists us in all of our needs. Our Lord wishes to make us understand that. And I think that's so important. First of all, St. Teresa is writing from her experience. Um, everything that she wrote, she's a doctor of the church. It was all through her experience. 
Um, the other thing that I think is important, as she says here, it's our Lord that wants us to understand that. And so I'm hoping that today, through this talk, you will all put St. Joseph high um, in your prayer life and walk with him during the season of Advent. If he was subject to him, whom he calls his father, because he was his director, who could command him? Well, I'm sorry, let me start that over. Our Lord wishes to make us understand that. If he was subject to him, whom he calls his father, because he was his director, who could command him? Then in heaven he defers all of his entreaties to him. I have never seen anyone who is truly devoted to him, St. Joseph, in advance and not advance in virtue, for he singularly favors those who confide in him. And so I am just begging all of you to do the same as our Holy Mother, St. Teresa. There was an exorcist priest, Father Machado, and he had said something in a talk I was listening to. He had done a talk on St. Joseph. And he said, when you invoke St. Joseph, it's not just St. Joseph that you're invoking. It's St. Joseph, it's Our Lady, who was his spouse, and Jesus himself, the whole Holy Family. Which again, that's why I brought the picture today is because the Holy Family is so much needed today in our environment and um, the things going on in the world. And I think that um, he needs to be made known better, just like St. Teresa had said. St. Teresa um, had a vision of the Blessed Mother back in 1561 on the Assumption. And I thought what was important in this apparition is our Blessed Mother had told St. Teresa that she gave her great joy in serving this glorious St. Joseph. So again, here is a message from heaven how important this is. Um, this shows that Our Lady will also rejoice over you honoring him. Therefore, for my talk today, I really had one, I have three goals I really wanted to instill. The first goal is to show you the importance of St. Joseph. The second goal is going to help you to get to know him better and love him more. And the third is to encourage you to imitate him and call upon him insistently, as did St. Teresa. Now, to understand the importance of St. Joseph, um, St. Louis de Montfort, he had said back at the beginning of the 18th century, the humble Joseph is little known. Um, a lot of people, he was a silent saint, so he didn't say a lot. So um, you really have to dig into the scriptures and look at his role and how God made him head of that holy family. But in 1870, actually on the 9th of December, which will be this week, blessed Pope Pius IX makes St. Joseph the patron of the Universal Church. Um, there was a book that I was reading that really hit me because it talked about St. Joseph's silence. And in the book it said, at the appointed time he will be made known. And I think we're seeing that more and more. Um, another talk that I had listened to had said, St. Teresa of Avila was like one of the first big promoters of St. Joseph. And then it moved into the Dominicans and also the Jesuits. And there was a great um, movement in Italy and Spain um, for the west side of the church. It did mention that there were churches dedicated to him. There were followers of St. Joseph, um, probably even more so on the eastern churches, but that the um, dedication to St. Joseph really took off um, on the western churches back in the 1500s. Um, Pope Pius IX also said, always in critical hours, the church has implored St. Joseph. In the very sad times when the church was pursued by her enemies on all sides, when it was weighed down by such great calamities that the impious have believed that the gates will prevail against her, this Pope Pius IX wishes to put all under the powerful patronage of St. Joseph and why he raised St. Joseph to this title. Then in 1908, we also had Pope Pius X who um, had tried to promote the litany of St. Joseph. Um, 1962, we had Pope John Paul, or Pope St. John the 23rd introduce the name of Joseph, 
Spouse of Mary into the canon of the Roman Missal, Eucharistic Prayer 1. Now, today, it's in all four of them. So it seems like that movement of St. Joseph is really moving forward, and this is a time um, to make him known so that all people uh, have this devotion. We also have our little St. Therese. Um, Zelie Martin, back in 1873, this would have been three years after St. Joseph was promoted as um, patron of the Universal Church. Back when St. Therese was um, very sick, Zelie Martin asked St. Joseph for the grace of a cure for the little flower. She said that she quickly went to her room and knelt in front of the statue of St. Joseph and asked for the grace of a cure, but in tears resigned to God's will if he wished to take her with him. Her tears flowed. She said, I do not cry often, she said, I finally went down and found her nursing with all her strength. And I saw her take a big gulp, and we thought she had died. And we leaned close to see if she had any breath. I felt my blood run cold. She was so peaceful, and I was thanking God she had died so peacefully. Then. At a quarter of an hour later, she opened her eyes and began to smile. And from that moment, she was cured. She whom our father loves to see the demon of apostasy, all she had to do was raise her eyes to her father to see one like St. Joseph. She said, if an earthly father is so perfect, what must, God, what must the good God be? So again, there's one of our um, own saints that were promoting this devotion back in the 1870s. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with um, Blessed Andre from Montreal, but he is another big promoter and we see millions of cures um, through his intercession. And I thought it was amazing as I was watching a video on him, he actually entered the Holy Cross Fathers the same year and I think it might have even said the same day, but I hate to say that and be wrong, but I think it was um, at the same time that he was, St. Joseph was made the patron of the Universal Church. So I thought that was pretty profound with what you see that was accomplished through this great saint. Um, he was not successful as a baker. Um, he wasn't a tinsman. He wasn't good at being a blacksmith. His own father had actually passed away at the age of 10, I mean, when he was 10. And then his mother passed away just a couple years later. And so Blessed Andre actually looked to St. Joseph as his own father, which I think is important because he had that closeness and tie with him. And so when he entered in 1870, um, he declared St. Joseph as, or no, I'm sorry, he felt incapable and he knew he could pray, but he found that his home was the Holy Cross and there at the door his whole, of his whole life for 40 years, he was a porter. Um, he did ask St. Joseph to help him as he had always helped his own father. And so again, that's just another an example of how St. Joseph is being made known, especially here in the recent times. So um, I only have eight minutes left. So what I wanted to do is I really wanted to go over a couple of his, um, let's see, a couple of his characteristics, virtues. Um, let's see if I can pick out my favorite. I guess I'm supposed to talk about purity and chastity. Um, there was there was supposedly two saints that I had read about when I was learning about St. Joseph that they said that wrote extensively on him, and that was St. Francis de Sales and Blessed Alphonsus Liguori. Um, and I think it was St. Francis de Sales, which had this beautiful image of St. Joseph as a palm tree. And I've never thought, well, how do you look at the virtues based upon a palm tree? But what he wrote was absolutely amazing. So I just want to share this with you. Um, there are male and female palm trees. The male does not bear fruit, 
but it is not infertile. For the female is unable to bear fruit without, or the female is unable to bear fruit without the male. They have to grow close to one another so that the female tree is looked upon by the male and then bears dates in great quantity. Otherwise it is barren. So the female tree produces virginally, for it is not touched by the male, which has simply to be adjacent. Fruit is born under the shadow and gaze of the male. It gives nothing of its substance to the production of dates. It cannot be said that it has not an important part in the female's palm's fruitfulness, because without it, the female would bear nothing. From all eternity, God in his providence destined that a virgin should conceive and bear a son, who should be both God and man, yet he nevertheless willed that the virgin be married. Why did he ordain the combination of two such different states? Most of the fathers say that it was that Our Lady should not be slandered by the Jews who would not refrain from taking it on themselves to examine her behavior and to criticize her. The fathers and doctors tell us that it was needful for the protection of her, of her spotless maidenhood that divine providence should entrust her to the care and guardianship of a virgin man and that she should conceive and bring forth the sweet tasting fruit of life our lord under the shade of sacred marriage saint joseph then was like a palm tree which bears no fruit but is yet not wholly unfruitful having part and lot in the fruit of the female tree what he brought to this holy and glorious harvest was nothing else than the shelter of marriage, which protected Our Lady and Glorious Queen from the slanders and condemnations that her motherhood would otherwise have brought upon her. Joseph contributed nothing of himself to the holy fruitfulness of his blessed bride, but for all that he had a great part in it. For she was his companion, growing side by side with him like one glorious palm tree with another, without which proximity and shade divine providence decrees the one can bear fruit. The shelter that is of the holy marriage into which they had entered, and it was by no means an ordinary marriage, whether from the point of view of sharing external goods or of inner union and harmony. And so I thought that was just beautiful because it really shows the importance of purity to me. It's all about the will of God. It's putting what he wants for us. And St. Joseph did such a great job at doing exactly what God wanted. Um, I guess I don't have time for another one. Okay. There was one that um, Father Don Brooke, who's a Carmelite, he had talked about the just man and um, I liked what he also had to say about St. Joseph and his faithfulness. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Of her was born Jesus, who is called the Christ, now this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention. When behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, for it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took his wife into his home. A just man shall live by faith. Because of his faith, he feared God with a sincere heart, so was his ways were so his ways were straight. He lived a righteous life. He observed the law. 
but Father Don Brick said not like the Pharisees. He knew what it he knew that it must be accompanied by faith in the Messiah to come. Joseph's great trial when he learned that Mary was with child. You must remember he was not present at the Annunciation. He never doubted Mary, not even once. So why would he put Mary away quietly since the law did not apply to her? She was innocent. One church father said this event was so holy and Mary was so holy. He did not see himself worthy of such a gift. Therefore an angel came to him in his anguish and told him, do not fear to take Mary into your house. And as soon as he had this um, dream, he did as the angel commanded. And he realized that he was going to be the father of Jesus. And so I just thought that was a beautiful example of humility, um, a way that, of also about faith, how we should be listening to the Holy Spirit so that we know where God does want us. And I'm hoping that each of you will walk with St. Joseph during this Advent. We'll take him as your Father and Lord, as our great St. Teresa did, and that you'll learn more about him. So what I did, Francis has a picture here. I took the litany of St. Joseph and I broke it up into pieces of paper. And each of you are supposed to take one of those, study it over Advent, pray about it, try to live it, try to walk with St. Joseph. If you have um, spouses in your in your household, you might see if they can guess who it is you're trying to imitate. But um, it's good practice for us all, and I hope that you get to know him better. So thank you so much. <laughs>
point being that those who find themselves in these difficult situations have an additional source that they can draw on, the, the only source. And those who want to participate in the ministry will have an additional means to find strength uh, and uh, uh, camaraderie even with those who are working in this ministry day in and day out. Now there's another critical component, Michael, that you have a vision for, uh, that somebody's going to be responsible for making happen, uh, and that is to make uh, the Blessed Sacrament available 24 by 7 uh, in the form of adoration. Uh, we could go over a number of uh, admonitions from, um, from our church about uh, making uh, that uh, sort of prayer opportunity available. There's no need to. It's clear uh, the Holy Fathers, uh, the last three, of course, have been uh, adamant supporters of, of the availability of adoration. But talk to us a little bit about your vision for um, something in the Dayton area that, quite frankly, does not exist today. Not, not uh, uh, anywhere that I'm familiar with within 25 miles of us. Well, and I would say that, you know, e even someone who's not familiar with our faith tradition or who might not recognize the real presence of the Eucharist um, sees great value in the, the spiritual calm that comes from just being still and accompanying um, each other. And, and as we would invite them to focus on our Lord um, in, in this way, and as we witness to them um, how much peace it brings us to to do that, um, that that's a that's a, a foot in the door, is it not, uh, for them to uh, enter the, the the richness of contemplation in the real presence, and and as you alluded to, the the, the power of that is 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 but a glimpse to someone who has not experienced that before who might witness it for the first time but certainly if we were to keep that up um, then uh, it, it it will be noticed and it will be noticed by the guests who are here themselves 24 7 uh, for the time that they need to be here and and also i think quite powerfully um, introduce a broader segment of our catholic community to the ministry that we have here and um, the importance of the invitation to them to participate in the in the way that they would like to um, uh, beginning with adoration and perhaps moving on to, to even more involvement with our ministries yeah and it's uh, uh, there are a couple of initiatives Michael and I just briefly uh, chatted about on the break that we have in mind for getting people especially in the conferences and uh, again, for those who are not familiar with the structure, you can uh, understand by conferences, either parishes or, uh, as we mentioned, a university. Um, uh, there's a particular immigrant conference that, that uh, helps uh, that community. Uh, but uh, getting those conferences more uh, ingrained, uh, integrated into the prayer part of the spirituality of the society for this simple reason. Uh, those of us who've been in ministry of any kind for some number of years have come to recognize we are not the centerpiece of the work. We are not uh, the, uh, the ones who are making all of this happen. It is the Holy Spirit who's bringing about the change that we see, bringing about the provision um, that we rely on and that uh, the people that we serve rely on. And so we want to put the focus back on the center and where it needs to reside, and that's where... Uh, the Holy Spirit rests and where the Holy Spirit is both guiding, directing, and making possible everything that we do. Um, I would also say that even for those who may not have an immediate opportunity, though we hope ultimately many will, certainly we're talking to the Miami Valley now, the Dayton area, uh, we hope that many people will be interested in supporting 24 by 7. I know I can speak uh, very uh, deliberately to uh, this issue of a desire for many, many years on the part of many in this area to have availability for 24 by 7 adoration. Here I would say it's even more powerful. We're not just giving the opportunity for uh, adoration and, and the opportunity to come and spend time and worship our Lord, but we're doing so in the context of a ministry that even our Lord said uh, was arguably among the most important things that we could do and that's serving the poor in our society. The poor we will always have with us, these treasures of the church will be with us until the Lord returns. And now we're being invited through this uh, uh, 
um, initiative of 24 by 7 adoration uh, to serve that community and worship our Lord uh, all in the same time. So we're very excited about it. Uh, certainly those in the Dayton area will begin to hear more about it. I've already reached out to a number of people uh, to at least begin uh, to uh, uh, make that available. And we hope if there are people in other parts of the country that are hearing this message today, whether they're involved in the St. Vincent de Paul Society or not, that you might be gaining some interest in seeking out that society in your area and thinking too about how you begin to engender a deeper appreciation for the spirituality of the society. And that, of course, Michael, stems all the way back to our, uh, our patron, St. Vincent himself, St. Vincent de Paul. And so I want to talk a little bit about his spirituality. Now, we should just say briefly, in fact, if you don't mind, I'll let you do the just the brief uh, you know, elevator speech history, because many people associate the society's founding itself with St. Vincent. Of course, that's not the case. It was founded uh, quite a number of years later, 200 some odd years later, in fact. Uh, but I'll let you do that brief history before we go into St. Vincent's. Well, and isn't it interesting that here we are talking about the founding of the society nearly 200 years ago, and when it was founded, it was uh, with reference to a, a saint another 200 years before that. So yeah. uh, it is, you know, initially I think of um, how the, the stories of saints throughout the ages have inspired uh, generations to uh, continue those paths of holiness in a very particular way. So um, basically, um, Blessed Frederick Ozanam is, is credited as being the leader um, of a group of uh, young men who were college students uh, who, with the help of their mentor, Emmanuel Bailly, um, who, who grouped together to form what became the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. And essentially what happened was um, in, their, in their studies, they were challenged by um, folks who said, well, you, you Catholics talk a good game about serving the poor, but what are you really doing to serve the poor? And so um, they took that to heart, and uh, they approached um, some, some particular Daughters of Charity, who again are part of the, the Vincentian family that trace their history back to St. Vincent himself, uh, to learn how to accompany the poor, learn how to, to accompany individuals in need. And so, um, uh, as I mentioned, the, the, the society was formed as a, as a Catholic lay apostolate and um, has continued in that um, mode. Um, we, we also have uh, uh, governance rules in effect that essentially keep clergy from leadership roles uh, in order for us to maintain that, that lay character and, and how we operate. And Ozanam himself, being a lay person, he was actually a lawyer schooling at the Sorbonne. Um, around 1833, if I have right. my dates correct, right. is, is their actual founding. Um, and you know, it, you, you reminded me of an important point that I wanted to uh, include in the ministries, because I don't think we touched on it specifically, and that's the home visit, which is really the centerpiece of the ministry, isn't it? It's Absolutely. not just sort of, hey, you, the poor, come to us and we'll provision. Talk, talk about that part of it, because that's so, so key to both St. Vincent's own spirituality, but to Ozanam's founding of the, of the society. Well, and even our secular friends um, who, who we work with to this day recognize that apart from the religious character of our work, uh, they note that we're the only ones who do home visits. So um, we, we are not what we call a service counter type of human service. Um, we are a ministry. We're a two-by-two uh, ministry where we focus on going to people where they are, quite literally in their homes. And it's been that way since the beginning. That's what the Daughters of Charity uh, taught Frederick and his companions um, on, on how to be present to people, how to minister to them, how to be in authentic relationship with them. Um, and I think this is another aspect that um, gets skipped over quite a bit when we talk about poverty. Um, one, one piece of poverty that we all want is spiritual poverty. And uh, we practice that, we attain that um, in, in large measure through um, our intentional relationships um, that reach out to, again, create authentic uh, two-way real relationships, not dispensing our excesses to people that we perceive have material needs, but to enter into a true uh, relationship with them 
that has all the friction and tension of any of our relationships. And the idea that, um, that we are engaging people uh, from whom uh, there is objectively no ulterior motive for us to, to gain for ourselves other than our own salvation and theirs. Well, you bring up an important point. I'm actually going to skip past the virtues that St. Vincent, we may come back to them, but because you left to that, I want to, I want to capitalize on that and um, just point out that the, um, one of the central uh, themes, of course, is poverty. And for St. Vincent, there were four critical vows uh, that he asked his original uh, society, not societies, but his uh, uh, the, the missions and the uh, daughters of the um, uh, daughters of charity. He asked them uh, to adopt these vows. One of them was, in fact, poverty. And, and he said, um, if I can find his own words here, uh, essentially he would not uh, want any one of these foundations uh, to be formed without themselves adopting an evangelization of the poor founded on poverty that we practice ourselves. And so uh, to the degree that we understand this idea of, uh, of spiritual poverty, uh, St. Vincent was key on his own um, members practicing that idea of poverty. And it may have been material poverty. In many ways, of course, it was for those who were ordained. But uh, even from a spiritual standpoint, he, it, it wasn't, as you said, you know, we, we give of our excess and, and that which we have left. We can think about the woman in the gospel, of course, that Christ uh, points out to giving the, the, the last of her uh, resources. But um, here, St. Vincent was key on the members themselves practicing what it is they were uh, seeking to serve, and that's uh, the poor and, and therefore practicing poverty. It's a key component of it. Well, I want to drop back to the virtues because uh, these are also key to understanding the spirituality. And again, as Michael and I have been discussing, it's the spirituality um, that we want to make sure that we, I, I wouldn't say uh, as much recapture, but invigorate uh, and make sure that everybody who's participating in the ministry and those who are served by the ministry are drawing the fruit of the spirituality that is inherent in the uh, St. Vincent de Paul Society. So the first of those virtues, Michael, is simplicity. You want to speak about simplicity a little bit in the way that St. Vincent uh, uh, communicated it? Well, you know, simplicity is something that um, um, we, we struggle with in, in so much of our society today. I, I, don't, I, I confess I don't know what it was like um, for him in, in his day, but, but I can say that... Um, you know, one of the things that helps us in our own spiritual growth is when we witness people who come to us at the shelters, for example, who, who really have nothing other than the clothes on their back and um, who have um, may, maybe some very complicated um, personal circumstances. But many of them that I've encountered have a certain um, simple, kind way where they have um, uh, embraced um, a love that is palpable. And um, that is something that is very attractive to many of the people who come uh, to work here, is that um, the, the, not everyone who comes here is in misery. Sometimes there's a quiet joy about them, and it is in their simplicity. It is in their letting go. It is in their not being attached to... Uh, too many worldly things, and um, you know, many of them um, frustrate us perhaps because we sense that they don't have a, a spirit of personal enterprise uh, or personal responsibility. Um, but simplicity is something that's in our face every day. Now, we we of course are are yearning for that virtue in uh, in a sea of complicated, uh, uh, unsimple uh, ways of the world and what we're surrounded with. But um, I'd have to say that uh, one of the things that, that uh, makes me excited about this ministry every day is that I can walk 100 feet from my office and encounter someone who has the simple joy about them, even given all the circumstances that surround their lives. Um, and that's a powerful witness. 
You know, one of the things that I was thinking about with regard to simplicity, and I, I read some of the material from St. Vincent's uh, the history on him and how he implemented and, and chose the particular virtues he wanted to focus on. But the modern term that comes to mind is subsidiarity. This idea that let's put the responsibility for getting something done at the lowest, most effective level within the organization. I see that in the way you run the organization, Michael. You know, all of us come in contact with the poor. I saw you counseling a young man the other day, actually a volunteer in one of the facilities that we were touring. So you yourself get directly involved in the ministry. It's not like you sit in a corner office and direct yeah. other activities people's activities, but you, and, and it seems to be uh, a pervasive throughout the organization, people want to be involved in the ministry. They want, to, they want to touch the hands of the poor. They want to actually be at that lowest level. I don't mean lowest in, in, in a demeaning way, but at the level that comes in contact with the poor themselves. And right. I think that's also part of that. Well, and, and plus how we position ourselves um, in that we are we are known in the community as the absolute backstop. We are the ones who affirm uh, every individual's humanity. Uh, when when all their other networks fail, when their when their family network fails, their employment fails, their shelter fails, their food security fails, um, you know we we are known to be the ones that anyone can come to. We don't have barriers. We don't have the complications of. Uh, you know the um, conditions that are placed on um, on on loving others. That's what we're here for, and and again, we're we're known throughout the community for that. Well, one other um, virtue I just want to touch on quickly: the the uh, interim ones. We would all recognize humility, um, uh, meekness. Of course, in this environment, that's a, a virtue we would rely on uh, every day. But also, interestingly, zeal. Zeal for the work. Say, say just a few words about that, if you would. Yeah, that gosh, zeal is an interesting thing because, of course, um, uh, it's used a couple of ways, isn't it? It's it, well, on the one hand, it's it's uh, used to describe passion. On the other hand, it's used to describe zealots <laughs> that <laughs> that, uh, that that chase down their own designs on on folks. But but I, you know, I I have to say that. Um, there's an energy around our ministry that really uh, is the fuel that really powers us to engage every day, and I see it in in our volunteers and our employees, and and I can only describe it as something that um, it, it is really the fire of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there there's no uh, objective reason why we should be uh, super excited about. Um, uh, being in the middle of misery, right? But uh, there, there is this very palpable energy that anyone feels when they come in to our work, um, uh, where they notice that that we we're just energized. And and my own explanation for it is the Holy Spirit. It has a way of drawing you in. I've witnessed uh, just in my short tenure here, uh, people that, and I don't mean to scare anybody away from the ministry, but I think it's representative of what you just said. People who willingly work 50 and 60 hours a week, you know, to support this ministry. Um, and they don't do it as drudgery. You know, I asked one woman, in fact, uh, uh, regarding the length of stay she had in one particular day. And she looked at me and said, well, uh, I said something about going home. She said, well, the people in the shelter don't get to go home. So, you know, it was, it was a passion and it was palpable and uh, it was clear that it came from the heart. So very, very uh, encouraging and and. Uh, it's really something to, to hold, to, to, to behold. And you do see the face of Christ in these people. And it, it makes you want to uh, be transformed and help transform their lives. You know, closing in uh, our Carmelite fashion, I just want to quote the, the words of St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, arguably the uh, most popular saint of the 20th century, certainly a well-known Carmelite. She said, There is no joy like that known by the truly poor in spirit. And if I can, Michael, I want to thank you very much for taking this time to be in conversation with us today. It's been a revelation, I'm sure, to many of our listeners. I do want to encourage and invite everybody who's listening. Uh, if you know of the St. Vincent de Paul Society in your area, certainly if you're in the Dayton area, um, you know, take an opportunity to look a little deeper into us and see if there isn't an opportunity for you to get involved, to volunteer in some way. And what I want to promise you is that you'll capture the zeal that Michael talked about and you will find yourself transformed by participation in the ministry itself. 
and you will see the face of Christ in those you serve. And in that spirit, let us pray for the poor and the needy in our society. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, you came to give honor to the least, those forgotten, overlooked, and misjudged. You came to give first place to the last, those left behind, misunderstood, and undervalued. You came to give a warm welcome to the lost, those who are orphaned, abandoned, and destitute. Help us to be your ears to listen to their cries. Help us to be your voice speaking out of love and acceptance. Help us to be your feet walking beside those in need. Help us to be your hands to clothe, feed, and shelter them. You came for the least, the lost, and the last of this world. Lord, hear our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.